now default Evan. Default me. What what I want to be seen as might change. You know? But I, I, I think I'll always have people who I can just talk to about whatever um, and express whatever to them. Um, and I think that's what's important. My name is Evan. You're listening to Breaking the Boy Code. I'm Jonathan. Welcome to the podcast. Several months ago, Evan invited me to watch him perform in a musical that he was part of. And I went sort sort of expecting to be there like as support, you know, like I didn't have, I didn't have low expectations, but I didn't have the highest expectations for the caliber of, uh, you know, entertainment that I was about to experience. And first of all, it was a really great show musically uh, theatrically, like the set design, like everything for the set design to the accents of these young actors, I was really impressed. More importantly, I had a moment where I was watching him sing in one of those major songs. I don't really know like musical, like what, but I, I feel like it's a thing where like the entire ensemble is out and it's one of these like really big numbers. Um, and he was right in the front to the right. Uh, singing and he was just like lit up there were like and like first of all like physically like the lights in his eyes and his face was like so intent on the story but like lit up like this was exactly what he was meant to be doing there's actually a lot more to him and a lot more to him in theater than just what I was seeing in that moment but it was that moment that I was like he's tapped into something and it would be worth hearing what he has to say about it I love performing in general. I'm in, yeah, well, I've, I've done a couple shows and then I've also, I'm also part of a rock choir and I've been in school choirs and I love performing. It's like exciting to be like in the spotlight, you know, as like, um, with this choir, we get to do solos. So for, maybe part of a song will go up and you'll be on your own and you'll get to like sing that one part. Um, and that's, that's exciting. I enjoy, like, I know, uh, um, some people get really nervous with that or public speaking or, or, um, just being in front of a crowd, but like that fuels me. I, I, I love that. And everyone like watching you and you have that, like that moment to shine and like show what you've got. And like, I'm proud of myself after I've performed and done well. So after that, I was like, okay, but you got to back up. How did this start? How did you come to discover that you had this love for both singing and acting for being on stage? Oh yeah. So in grade seven, um, yeah, our first day they're like, okay, auditions for the play, tryouts for fall sports teams. So like soccer, uh, volleyball, basketball, that that those that kind of thing. Um, but so we had this one day 
called registration day where we like get to know our teachers and all that a little like orientation uh and then we went on our trip but then that first week back after the trip that was auditions and tryouts so i really like i had to make a decision right away on what i want to do for extracurriculars for that full term um and i want to play cuz i thought it'd be a cool opportunity um cool experience and like i said like i hadn't done any acting before then so i was it, it intrigued me pretty much we had a like we were able to pick up a script a few days before um and just review it and then we'd be asked to read it um and then sing part of the song the audition for me is one of the scariest parts just because like you don't know where it's going you haven't been assigned a role yet right um and well in grade 7 i was singing and reading it reading the script um in front of four teachers who i hadn't met yet so that 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 was that was stressful that was nerve-wracking and it went pretty well and then pretty much either if they think you'd be good for one of the lead roles or if they just like don't know where to place you um or if they want to like see who out of two people is better for a role they'll um have you come back for a callback and then they just have you like read another script or whatever um to just like get another idea of what you'd be like maybe in a different role than you originally auditioned for so i got a callback like i didn't know what it meant it didn't necessarily mean like i was like i was getting a lead role it could have meant um that they were deciding whether or not to like put me in ensemble or whatever you know um but yeah i came back and then they gave me a script and like 5 minutes to review it with another kid and then we did it and i got the role i actually ended up getting the role for the character that i read in that callback i didn't have too many lines in that first play so it wasn't really like stressful in terms of like learning my lines um so that i'd be off book uh cuz obviously you need to be off book for the show um and i had rehearsals maybe two times a week so that wasn't crazy um especially like coming into a new school it, like it wasn't too hard on like workload and managing my time considering i only had two rehearsals a week and then nearing the show we had some full day rehearsals on the weekends um you know we come in and like we do stuff in the morning eat pizza and then like continue in the afternoon so a full day of like rehearsing once it ended and how like sad i was yeah and i was just like 
after that ended, I just felt, like, bored. You know, because that was, like, a big part of those first few months at, um, at my school. And, yeah, and I knew, like, oh, I'm definitely going to do this next year because it's so, it so enjoyable. I didn't realize how, like, how much fun I was having with it and how exciting it was for me until it ended, you know. Um, and I missed it so much. So, yeah. I think it was being with that, like, a, that group of people. So I feel like, like, with theater and with, like, sports teams, you get really close with the other people in the group. Um, and yeah, I missed that aspect of it. But I also, it was just... I came, like, straight home after school. I was just... It took up a lot of my time, and it was, yeah, I was just kind of, uh, afterwards. It's kind of intriguing to me that he mentioned sports a couple times. The original decision to try theater at this new school was in the context of auditions or tryouts, being part of a musical or part of a sports team. Now that I say it, I'm actually, I can't remember if it's his school or a different kid that I'm thinking of, where if you're part of the play, you can't be part of anything else major. But that might have been this school. And even if it wasn't, it's kind of a big decision. Starting a new school, like, like, what am I going to try? Where am I going to belong? And then at the end of the experience, um, both with theater and with sports teams, you get really close. So for me, the next question was, well, so for me, the next question was, well, what is it then? What made this place or this experience stand out to you that that is where you'd spend your time for the next two years? That is who you'll belong with. That is how radiantly happy you'll be under the spotlight. And he said doing the play again in in, uh, in grade eight wasn't the same. There were different kids in different roles, but it had the same kind of relationships. And that's what set this experience apart, this group that he was part of. Yeah, it was a different vibe, but I still felt that like, um, like those close friendships with the other kids in the cast. Um, and I really loved getting to know the other kids in other grades. Um, the lead cast, there were only 12 of us for this one show. So we got really close. Um, there were, even though it was across three grades, um, boys and girls. So yeah, that, that's awesome. I've just tried to realize that those people I click with don't have to be my age. Um, and I found, like, I've clicked with a bunch of kids younger than me, um, and I've formed good relationships and friendships with those kids. Uh, and through the play, well, I had kids older and younger than me, and I see them in the hallways very often, and I'll, like, always say hi to them, give them hugs, you know? Um, yeah, and I value that. 
just like another place where I've made friends. Mm-hmm. So what's like, um, I think what made the, like the play so like magical on those relationships is that we all like got along really well as a group. Um, whereas like within my grade, like as generally, I don't feel like I belong in a group, you know, like I have friends from like different areas because I'm in so many different things, you know, and I have so many different interests, but with the play, we were all like all focused on that, um, on, on the show. And we like all got close as a group through that. Well, for example, when I hang out with people, I'd rather it be like one, two, three people than like hosting a party or whatever. Um, just because with a smaller group, you can actually spend time with them and like catch up, chat, um, like strengthen that friendship, you know, um, or even just like with family, um, because to be honest, it's overwhelming to have like maybe 20 people around, you know, you can't talk with all of them, um, and you can't get as close with all of them if there's so many more people. Um, and just having smaller groups, I, I think that's, that's important. And then you can, you can get closer with those individual people and form those individual bonds and relationships. Like, everyone wants to have friends, you know, and people they can rely on and talk to. I'll say, um, you know, I want to be seen, well, I want different people to see me in a different way, you know, I don't want my teachers to see me the same way as my friends, I want, I don't want, um, I want, like, my parents to see me a little differently, I want my sister to see me a little differently, um, it's, I don't know, it's, it's tough. I think in terms of like people wanting people to see me differently, that's more on um, little like tweaks in terms of how I act, you know? It's less about like putting on a different, like putting on a different character and more about slightly just changing how I act and interact with people. And I think I want to be like included um, with my classmates at school, even if like they're not necessarily my close friends. and that's part of the reason why I make those small, why I want to make those small changes around different people. Um, I'm glad that most of my friends enjoy a bunch of the same things that I do. Um, and for that reason, I don't need to make 
as many tweaks um, around them. Um, and I think, you know, people are going to get to know whatever side of you that you show them. Um, and I've definitely found some people where I can show them every side. And I'm comfortable with that. I feel like the closer I am, well, I, I think this makes sense for a lot of people, but the closer I am with someone, the more I can just, like, act normal and not worry about what they'll think of me. Um, and... And that's where, that's who those people are who I feel really comfortable with. Um, I guess tying back to the show, the musical, um, I've spent a lot of pe a lot of time with these people with these other kids. Kind of ironic, like, playing a character that's not who I am. Yet through that, I've become really close with them, and then I'm really comfortable around them um, to just be completely normal, you know? Um, so that's interesting. I remember when I was talking to Niobe Way in the first season of this podcast. Uh, and if you don't remember, she does, she's done like groundbreaking research on adolescent boys' development and friendships. And she, to me, described how so many of her conversations and her research with adolescent boys came back to friendship. When I listened to that, I didn't really think about how that applied to the conversations that I would be having through this podcast. But I'm learning that it's the common thread that connects these stories together. And not just friendship, but connection. Like, Evan and I are ostensibly talking about theater, right? But at the heart of his experience is this group of actors who become friends. The practice of acting out a character that creates space to just act like yourself. It's about being known. And feeling like you belong, having something to work towards and having someone to say hi to in the hallway. And what Evan is letting us see is that this stereotype doesn't really hold up. Stereotypes of guys, like sports teams, for example, being constantly on guard, constantly in competition in terms of like physicality and like that adversarial positioning and like, you know, trying to get girls, like all that kind of thing, that stereotype that guys don't let themselves be seen. I mean, you can, you can hear it. Like Evan's like, these are the people I feel really comfortable with. I've definitely found some people where I can show them every side. You have to realize how significant it is for a teen boy to say that. 
And it made me think of the stereotype and think of sports. If Evan is able to have the experience, this experience of friendship in, th- in the arts, like, does that say something about theater? And like in conversation with him, like he's actually a really skilled athlete as well, but he, and he's also like, he's the kind of person who finds friendship and connection wherever he goes. So it's not one space or the other for him, but I asked him to compare sports to theater. And this is what he came up with. More people are involved with sports than the arts. Um, I don't think people like who aren't involved with the arts are as, or I don't think they really understand that it's just like as valuable as um, like team sports um, in terms of like I said, relationships and like making friends. Um, I feel like from someone who's done both, like, I've made close friends with both and I've felt that like that community aspect with both. Um, I think, you know, people are going to participate in things that they're interested in. Um, and that's what, that's one of the reasons why people click with each other in like in the play because everyone's interested in, in acting. I do feel like there's like this view that sports is more important than like arts. Um, like with like my my peers, anyways. Um, I think I think the arts get overlooked a little. Um, you know, like people listen to music. Uh, but they don't appreciate, like, the hard work that goes into it or whatever. Um, whereas people, like, watch the Olympics or whatever, like, watch the NHL games, and they, like, see these, like, hardworking players who have, like, dedicated their lives to a sport. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's a part of it. In the lead cast, they made four more female roles because there were more talented girls than talented boys. Um, and overall, there were more girls. Um, you know, and you see, like, in choirs, mostly girls, and you have you have like the men or whatever um in that like one section um but it's funny because at like younger i think boys 
aren't like scared or not enough. Like they don't hesitate to like do, do singing or whatever. Um, I don't know. I think it's unfortunate that there aren't more, like, at my age now, that there aren't more boys who are into singing and acting. Um, although then again, they've just, like, found a different area that they enjoy more. Um, whether that be influenced by, like, um, what's happening around them or what they see in, like, the media, I don't know, but... There are definitely more girls in the arts, and there are definitely more boys with sports. So, that's interesting. I think it's just, like, stereotype. Um, I, I think it's kind of, it's... Like, they're not deciding. I don't think people are deciding, oh, yeah, um, I'm a boy, so I'm not going to do theater or whatever. But it's like maybe they feel a little pressure without noticing it to go into to, to play sports or whatever uh, versus doing arts. Um, the opposite with girls. And I think the other thing is, even if maybe, uh, for example, like a boy that wants to do the choir, but none of their friends are doing it, you know, then it'll just kind of like split even more. Like visibly, there's, there's visibly like more, more guys in sports and more girls in the arts, but I don't think people see any problem with that. Uh, sorry, see any problem with like boys who are who enjoy the arts or girls who enjoy sports. Um, and I think that's that's cool considering, like. what it would have been, like, 200 years ago, you know? Um, there was a commercial for uh, Nike, I think, um, and it was all about um, girls in sports um, and taking big steps with that, uh, and I think that's, it was, it was, um, narrated by Serena Williams, um, and she talked about, like, how before, like, a woman running a marathon was, like, unheard of or whatever, um, and then she talks about just all these big, like, advancements that have been made within women's sports, and I think, um, I think it's similar with 
boys in the arts, even if it's not like as, um, if that movement isn't as visible. Um, yeah. So in his perspective, the arts aren't always appreciated in the same way that team sports are. And maybe that doesn't apply to like Broadway or Hollywood, but among the peers of a teen boy, like it's there. He hears it among his peers and he sees it firsthand in who's represented around him. I think anybody that's involved in theater can describe moments where guys' parts got changed to girls because that's who auditioned. That's who was interested in participating. And it's not always even that explicit. Kind of like he describes, like stereotypes can create pressure where you don't even necessarily notice as a teen boy the way that your your interests or your passions or the things that you participate in might be dictated by norms. And that's part of how they stay present in so many different ways. I do love the way things have changed for him. Like he's talking to me and... I, personally, got bullied for being into theater when I was his age. But to him, that's ancient history. Like, it might as well be 200 years ago. The last thing he talks about is companies like Nike, who are raising the visibility of girls in sports. And we'll come back to that. But for now, just like my gut reaction is maybe the same isn't quite happening for boys pursuing the arts. So what do we know about boys in theater? To continue the conversation, I spoke to a friend I know through Partners for Youth Empowerment's Art of Facilitation. Uh, Jen, who has a background in theater choreography. My name is Jen Cool, um, and I was obsessed with theater and dance as a kid. I um, danced from the time I was pretty young and then was in a kid's theater company um, from the time I was eight until I was 13. And then I did a, as much musical theater as I possibly could in high school. Um, and then when I was in grade 12, I was asked to go back and be, um, the assistant choreographer for that same kids theater company. Um, and so then I worked with them as the assistant choreographer for, um, I think five, five or six years and then took a bit of a hiatus. And then the artistic director from that company went and, and started a different company and hired me on, um, as the full choreographer. And I worked there for another six. So I've got about, uh, 12 years of teaching dance, um, with this kids theater company, in addition to my many years of, um, loving performing. The first thing I told Jen, uh, when we sat down to record was the first thing I said on this podcast about what I saw in Evan when I saw him on stage. And I didn't tell her this, but writing it now made me think of a kid who I first saw dance um, on stage when he was like about 10 years old. And it was again, like just watching him having that sense of like talent and passion, like this is what he was meant to do. And that same kid, seven years later, um, just won Best Teen Male Dancer at the Dance Awards, which I don't know a lot about, but like they're capital T, capital D, capital A, a really big award show. Or another boy I know who I photographed as part of a photography project in university who was, again, at that moment, like starting to explore dance and and decide like what like what value does this hold for me and where where does my passion lie and he ended up graduating from Canada's National Ballet School like there's something to these boys and there's something that you can see when they're on stage it's not every kid but it's a lot of kids for whom they get on stage with like they're feeling like they finally found their pack um and they are just having the time of their lives 
Um, and I think it's especially true for kids. Sometimes kids who really love theater um, might have a flair for the dramatic that makes it hard for them to connect with kids who only want to play sports or kids who are very serious about school. So I think kids really feel it when they, um, when they haven't really found a sense of belonging in their school community and they get to be on stage, like singing and doing a thing they love with peers who accept and celebrate them and are singing along with them. I think that's when you get kids to be really, who really radiate it. And then you also get kids who are like meant to dance or meant to sing where they are like their truest self when they are belting out that high note or like, you know, fully embodying that character. So I think there's like lots of different ways that kids get to be and young people get to be radiantly happy when they're in theater. I think maybe in a different way than like visual art. Um, I don't, I don't know if musical theater particularly gives as much space for like full self-expression and exploration because there is sort of like a rehearsal schedule and a structured character you're playing. But in teaching the dance skills for, um, the, for the show, I do try to allow space for kids to learn ballet and contemporary and jazz and tap and try within that to build space for kids to be expressive and explorative with their bodies in dance performance. Um, and then I think you do see some really interesting, you see some really interesting exploration when you give kids uh, really emotive music and give them permission to just like move and explore and tell a story with their bodies. Lots of big feelings that are cool. We know that for Evan, it's not just about the performance, but about the group, the friendships that he finds himself in along the way. And like I said, this is uh, consistent with decades of research about adolescent boys. If we go back to Niobe Way, she wrote in an essay about exploring diverse cultures of boyhood. Uh, and this is a quote. Stories of yearning for intimate friendships with other boys are not stories revealed exclusively by acutely sensitive boys who are isolated in school. They're stories told by popular boys who are members of athletic teams as well as boys involved in theater arts. They are told by straight-A students as well as by students who are struggling to get by. The language of yearning for intimacy is used by boys looking hip-hop, cool, laid-back, and macho in their low-riding points. This is a little bit dated. Walkmen around their necks, baseball caps drawn low over their brows, sneakers untied. Boys who have been portrayed in popular culture as more interested in shooting each other than in sharing their thoughts and feelings. They spoke to us about male friendships that you feel lost without, about, quote, deep depth friendships, and about wanting friends with whom you share your secrets, tell everything, and get inside. So this experience, that's the end of the quote, this experience isn't unique to Evan is the point. But the story he tells is his. And through it, he gives us this window into the kinds of relationships you can find within theater. What I wanted to know in talking to Jen, what, and I'm not sure if I'll be able to articulate this as well as I want to, but basically if theater is about putting on a persona, putting on a character that's not yours, how does that create vulnerability? Um, To be blunt, like how can Evan spend months pretending to be someone else and then say he's comfortable being himself. 
think I have definitely experienced that personally and then seen it in kids that I've taught. And I think part of that comes from to make theater that people are going to enjoy watching, you have to be very vulnerable. So even if you are, and you have to be vulnerable collectively as a group, like particularly with musical theater, you have to decide together that it's not ridiculous to like throw your hands above your head multiple times and like give jazz fingers and have these ridiculous grins on your faces and all of you together be a way that would be like, super ridiculous and unusual in public. And you have to decide that this place is an okay place to do that. And if you decide as a group to take that risk together, what you're going to give the audience is this incredible, magical, sparkly experience of joy and music and energy. But in order to like do that, every single person in the commit in the group has to commit to going there, to taking that risk, to feel a little bit silly. Cause if you did it on your own in the middle of the street, what we're asking you to do is usually a thing that would make you feel silly. And in theater, you're like collectively deciding to take that risk together. And then I think the other thing that happens is like theater has like a lot, theater has a lot of dead time. So, um, the kids spend a lot of time like waiting to go on or, you know, wait, um, doing their makeup before the show or in between rehearsals or running a number again. And so there's like a collective creative project with lots of space built in between where you do get a chance to develop and, and build relationships. And it feels really good when you've accomplished something together. Like when you, when you nail a number as a group and you, particularly if you've had to work on it, cause it's hard and you come off stage and you're like, wow, we killed that. That's a really amazing unifying feeling. And you get instant feedback from your audience. If it went really well. When you have put work and time in and energy into creating the character that you're going to perform with, um, and there have been moments like nobody nails it every time in rehearsal. So even if you are playing a character that is not yourself, some of your, again, most vulnerable moments will have happened with that group. So, um, the first time this is like gender the other way, but, um, a couple years ago we did beauty and the beast and the young woman playing the beast had to get up and sing this incredibly emotional number, um, about losing bell. Um, we could have another conversation about why that musical is problematic, but that's not what I'm here to do. But so the, the character playing the leading man had to get up and sing this incredibly emotional song. Um, and it was like, it's hard vocally. It takes a lot of emotion and also she didn't do it perfectly every time in rehearsal. Like sometimes she missed a note. Sometimes she forgot her words. Sometimes as she was figuring out, she like her voice cracked a little bit because like, or, or, you know, like a person forgets their lines or on a more mundane level, person forgets their lines, person gets in the wrong way when you're moving. Like people have made a lot of mistakes together before they ever get to the stage. And I think that that, allows for you to maybe bring a more a less perfect version of yourself and I also think again it comes with that like playfulness that you need for theater that when you've been vulnerable in a playful way with people 
it's easier to bring then your other parts of your vulnerability. And, and I think you've gotten, you've gotten to practice vulnerability with those people in a character that is not yourself. So it's safer. So you might go further. You might never cry in front of that group of people, but you have to pretend you're crying in a scene, but then it sort of feels like you have practiced letting them see you cry anyway. So then I don't know when your partner breaks up with you two weeks later, you've already practiced crying in front of them. And maybe you actually do. I'm not saying that that will happen, but I have been in casts where when kids were slightly older, there was like a lot of relationship drama, but I think there's this practicing, you get to practice performing feelings in a character that isn't yourself. And that allows you to then, even though it's been experiencing the feelings through another character, it's you get the relationship as if you experience them in yourself, possibly. If you ask Jen or me or Evan for that matter, there are so many benefits to participating in theater. Uh, like the, like those close friendships, for example, that sense of belonging, like identity development, the joy of performing, the confidence that you get, the skills that you get in, in public speaking. Like there's so many positive pieces to that experience. And so how does that compare to sports? Does it compare to sports? And how do we address the fact that this incredible space is limited in access for boys? Um, I just think that they are... I think both have value. I think I would love to see both kids get the opportunity to do both because I think you do get, when you're exploring a different character, in a way you're practicing empathy because you're imagining like, what does, what would this person do in this situation? And you're getting a different kind of teamwork that is not teamwork in competition with, or in an adversary relationship with another team. Um, And I'm not, knocking like competitive sports, but I, I think that there's value in both types of teamwork. Um, and I think, um, yeah, the ability to collectively play and access joyful exploration through music and movement is super important and is a very different thing than you get again, playing, um, athletic sports. I know a kid that um, is was in the company that I used to teach with since I moved away and don't teach there anymore, whose parents were very into the sports that he played and really celebratory of the sports that he played and didn't understand why he um, wanted to, why he was, what he was enjoying in theater. And I saw him at a rehearsal I dropped in on and he like, lit up like a Christmas tree when he did a Russian split in the end of a number. I don't know many kids who can like just randomly pull off a rush. That's like when you jump straight up in the air and split your legs, just like straight up. It's like, it's hard. So one, it was very impressive, but more than that, he was like, yeah, so happy being on stage and had this sort of feedback from his parents that they sort of like just didn't get it. Um, and so I do think stereotypes for sure um, regulate who feels like musical theater and the arts and artsy spaces. Like, I, I think that there might be more space for, um, like traditional roles for boys in like music. Cause you have rock bands. So it's like, okay, if you do the kind of arts that are like sanctioned by 
general society. Um, but I think um, choir and theater and dance and musical theater definitely um, are are stereotyped as a thing that is um, for girls and for um, like queer boys and like only that. Um, and if you, if, yeah, if you're, if a, if you're a boy who's in theater, you must be gay, which I think as people are navigating their identity, um, whether they are or not, nobody ever wants to have somebody decide what their label is. And I think that that turns a lot of boys off because they don't want to be perceived as something that they haven't like figured out what they are yet. Um, and they don't want to be perceived as something that has, is still, I mean, when I, I think is still stigmatized, even though we've like worked to bring down barriers, I, I think there's still a lot of stigmatization in school. So, um, yeah, I think it's much, uh, there's much more space for boys to play sports and to like play electric guitar than there is space for boys to, um, do like more fluid, like fluid and evocative arts. Talking about sports brings us back to Nike. Uh, cause I wanted to return to Evan's description of that Nike commercial with Serena Williams. That came out last year and he has a remarkably good memory of it which kind of, to me, shows how evocative that ad, I mean, I found it evocative. That ad campaign was about um, raising the visibility of women in sports and also sort of challenging the cultural narratives that criticize women's participation, um, both in like amateur and professional sports. If we show emotion, we're called dramatic. If we dream of equal opportunity, we're delusional. When we're too good, there's something wrong with us. And if we get angry, we're hysterical or rational or just being crazy. But a woman running a marathon was crazy. Officials tried to pull her off the course. A woman boxing was crazy. A woman dunking, coaching an NBA team, landing the impossible, or winning 23 Grand Slams, having a baby, and then coming back for more? Crazy. Crazy, 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 and crazy. So if they want to call you crazy, fine. Show them what crazy can do. We have seen campaigns like this a lot. Maybe not a lot, but over the last decade or so from women-focused brands like Lululemon and also masculinity juggernauts like Nike or Under Armour. And as an aside, wage equality in professional sports has yet to keep up. But women in sports is a growing conversation that does have the attention of big marketing wheelhouses and kind of the general public. The same can't really be said for boys in arts. And maybe I'm wrong, uh, but when I think of arts that have been typically coded as feminine, I think that boys' access to those spaces are mostly being led by boys themselves. I mean, there's... I guess there's RuPaul's Drag Race and Queer Eye and Next in Fashion. But like when I think of those spaces, like they're often queer spaces. Which means that boys themselves exploring their passions... Well, sometimes they're taking a risk in how they're perceived. 
Like I think of a boy I know who wears dresses on TikToks and just got called a freak in his DMs. And sometimes those boys end up pulling back, like a boy, again, another boy who, uh, who used to be interested in cheerleading and now is joining the military. Or they end up playing it safe in the first place. Like I think of a boy who just has this incredible natural grace, but he channels it into basketball. And that's not to say anything bad about basketball, but for me, the question is, how can we make arts more accessible to boys? In the hopes that they have opportunities to experience the same kinds of things that Evan has. I can already tell I wish I had a better answer. I think like safe, broad exposure to things that seem less stigmatized is a really good entry. So like the dance school where I danced as a kid um, started with hip hop classes just for boys. And because hip hop is less seen as like less feminine than ballet, they opened this space for boys to take hip hop. And then some of those boys were like, I want to take another class. And then they took jazz. And then a few of them took some ballet. And once there was one older boy in ballet, it was safer and easier for younger boys. Like they could go and see the older boys doing ballet. And then they also took ballet. So I feel like you need Bringing, like bringing the barriers down in what the space is and like what you're teaching as kind of like a like low bar entry. Um, if you can do that, like it, I don't know if this how this would how it would work out. But like if you bring in really cool dancing role model dudes to uh, an elementary school gym class, I think young boys are going to feel very differently about participating in that gym class than if it's a woman. Cause it just feels better to see somebody who looks like you teaching the thing. And there are some like extremely cool <laughs> male, uh, dance teachers. So I think like, that's one thing. And then I think, um, yeah, uh, mo mostly it has to do with numbers. Like, again, you kind of need, like, you need your one first kid in a theater company so that, so again, the theater company that I helped start, um, when I left, I think we had two boys. Um, and now three years later they have six. Um, but it's because boys came to see the show and then they were like, Oh, I can do that too. So you kind of need to, you need in some way to have one brave person be your first person to lead the way for the others, which is hard. But I, I think they're, I think they're out like there are kids whose passion is so great that it overrides the stigma. And so once they're there, try to do everything you can to find them friends. But I also think bringing in teachers into like bringing in people who look like them in to teach them helps. I love that sentence. There are kids whose passion is so great that it overrides the stigma. Like, I feel like that belongs at the start of a, like a book or something. And also that was me. I think I've mentioned before that I joined the cheerleading team when I was in elementary school. I was getting bullied for having long hair, and so I positioned myself in opposition to the social powers who were telling me there was one single way to be a guy. And that was through the cheerleading team. But everything that Jen described in her answer, like I didn't get any of that. 
The teacher was welcoming enough, but she wasn't prepared in any way. She never said to me, huh, you're getting called a fag every day. I got to bet cheerleading is painting a target on your back. She didn't find me any role models. She didn't find me any friends. And partly because of that, I dropped it after two years. That was in grade seven. And when I was in grade 10, a friend's little sister posted on Facebook a picture of the cheerleading team. And as I say that, I just realize, like I am realizing, I have definitely told this story before. But anyway, I commented that a boy on the, I was like, there's a boy on the cheerleading team and she stood up for him. And I never thought about it until Jen said, you need one brave person to be your first person to lead the way for the others. But if I was in grade 10 and he was in grade seven, that means when I was in grade seven, he was in grade four. He saw me create that space. In following my passion and rejecting the stereotype, I became a role model. And I didn't do it for him. I didn't do it for any really significant beliefs about gender justice. I kind of just wanted to give the middle finger to the grade eight jocks who thought they owned me. But it's kind of like what I said to that boy I know who's getting targeted in his DMs on TikTok. People like you and me make the world a better place just by being ourselves. And that goes to Jen, welcoming and supporting boys and exploring dance and theater. That really goes to boys like Evan, who have the self-awareness and self-compassion to say, I love this. I love the people around me and I love being myself. I'm not a stereotype. There, there, uh, there is default Evan. There's such thing as default me and I am committed to being that person. What's that saying? All the world's a stage. Well, you know he's worth a standing ovation. My name is Jonathan Reed, and exploring masculinity through the arts is a big part of what I do. This podcast is supported by Next Gen Men, an organization leading the way in Canada and engaging and empowering boys on topics of gender. This project is also supported by a crew of listeners like you on Patreon, who make it possible for each episode to fund a transgender boy receiving his first chest binder. Visit patreon.com slash boypodcast to support this initiative. You can contact me at breakingtheboycode at gmail.com or at boypodcast on social media. If you already know your boy's favorite sports and athletes, ask him about the arts. What moves him? What lights him up? Does he need that one brave person? (laughs) 